The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Welcome back to this week's installment of Out of Patience. On the show today, Brian Cush and Brian Dragich. Two Brians, one with an I, one with a Y. You'll have to guess which one is which. They are the co-founders of a group called Tidal Health Group, and they work with ordinary physician practices, mom and pops, rural health, to help their practices do a better job navigating the nonsense that patients have to face, like wait times and EMR distractions and blah, 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 blah. Interestingly enough about Brian with an eye, he's a groundwater sampling environmental retail customer service guy, which doesn't really maybe add up to what he does as a skill today. But this is a story about two healthcare marketing consultants who understand the decision-making process that leads to, you know, potential people really wanted to go back to their primary care doctor in rural America. And they've worked with companies across the whole industry, clients like private practice, hospitals, pharma, medical tech. They were here in studio. The chemistry was fantastic. And I think you're going to like what we talked about. Enjoy the show. All right. Making my life difficult. I have a Brian and a Brian here. And listeners won't know which Brian is talking because you're only separated by a vowel. So whose name is spelled correctly? I'll raise my hand when I'm speaking. <laughs> Works well on the radio. <laughs> now we go by last names a lot. And then if that's the easiest way to separate us. Cushion. So Dragic? Yep. Is that like Yvonne Drago's redheaded stepsister or whatever? Uh, Oren, there's a basketball player. Oh, really? Goran Dracic. Yeah, but it's Dragic. Okay, I'll take I it. the Americanized version. Are you Russian? Uh, Croatian. Oh, there you go. Well, that's, you know, we're all the Slavic. same. I'm, I'm like Slavic, uh, Lithuanian, Austrian, you yeah. know, pure bloods. Yeah. So you can, you can, cushion D. I don't care. Cushion D. It's like Keel and, uh, Key and Pell. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I've been called worse things in my life. We've all been called worse things. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Wonderful to be here. Uh, I don't get to geek out with agency folks quite often, and I, it's just one of my like old time. I kind of started there. It was like I didn't get to go to be a fancy film composer, and I wound up at Harrison Star. I'm like, okay, I'll 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 do this. This is okay. It's a steady paycheck. And then I like, got sucked into Omnicom for a million years. So like you know, you're Mad Men, but you started your own company because I'm assuming the other world wasn't good enough for uh, what you actually needed to get done. Yeah, it's funny. We both don't come from traditional agency backgrounds at all, which I think is not uncommon within our space, but I think it provides a lens, especially within healthcare and uh, it being such a, a kind of fractured marketplace. Yeah, well, I mean, you're both born of your own condition. You started this organization with purpose. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, going way back, I know Brian, uh, the other Brian here, uh, Brian Cush. Cush. Yeah. 
Um, you're, you're not following your own rules. <laughs> no, but 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 Mr. Kush over here, um, you know, his he started kind of down the healthcare route, and then I joined him on the journey of of really you know trying to get patients or customers, depending how you want to speak of them, the proper healthcare kind of in the proper time. And so I think I think Mr. Kush can talk a little bit more of the genesis of his impetus to start in healthcare specifically. But it, it's something that really kind of pervades the whole team is this kind of core-driven purpose of why we are an, a, a healthcare marketing agency. Yeah. So uh, before we get started, Kush, I, I have to just let the listeners know that you triggered my inner infomercial in Staten Island in the 1980s with your alma mater. Can you sing the jingle? <laughs> I definitely can't because the funny thing that probably doesn't represent is I went to six colleges in four years. Well, Iona... Uh, had like the greatest jingle in the history of infomercials uh, in local, you know, local cable. Do you know it? I do, but I don't even want to attempt. Right. Well, I, I I'd love I for you if you, it sounds like it wants to come out of you. Like, it does. Really I don't bad. sing well, but it's the proof is in the people at Iona. That was the jingle. <laughs> and you know what the acronym for Iona is, right? It was an acronym? Oh, yeah. It wasn't like some guy's last name? No, no, no. It, I don't know when this was co-opted, but the... The school is in New Rochelle, and then it, it buffers two sides of a road, which is North Avenue. And then at some point before I got there, uh, the acronym of Iona is Idiots on North Avenue. <laughs> like Ford is found on road dead. Remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to get some angry mailers and, and back from them real soon now. But uh, well, we're, we're born of our condition, right? You have a backstory with your with a family history of you know misdiagnosis and and weirdness and fuckery, and and you're now spending time working in the traumatic brain injury world. I mean, where does advertising fit into this? Yeah, it's funny. the The genius on the personal side is my mom was misdiagnosed for a long time. Uh, it onset a lot of. Uh, other conditions. And, and the one thing that it's funny in like hindsight, I've talked about this. The biggest thing that I probably didn't discuss is even just like the psychological weight of that, of just being told that you don't have a problem or being told that you have a problem that doesn't get solved or just being shoved away from healthcare that once there was finally kind of a, a proper kind of seed diagnosis, it just shifted her mental state. It shifted our mental state on just being able to attempt to help there. But that was a 10-year period, and it onset so many other issues that once you finally met someone, they went, oh, no, this was sourced out Lyme disease. That's a total different ballgame from just the plethora of kind of checkbox diagnosis that they went through and really just shuffled her around. Yeah, it's really just like, you know, being told there's nothing wrong with you, go home, or exercise, or I mean, when I had my symptoms with my tumor, I couldn't use my left hand well. Oh, put your backpack on your other shoulder. Like, okay, thanks, doctor. Yeah, and I mean, that's the core of the problem right there is you have a system with like a really structured approach to language. When you just think about healthcare, even from like a billing and diagnosis, there's this universal language that everybody speaks and agrees on. But the consumers of healthcare don't know that. They don't speak that. When they haven't been diagnosed, they don't know who to go to, what specialty, what to call it. They just know the layman things that they're suffering from, the limitations that are being caused in their day-to-day. So you have two different worlds speaking two different languages and not trying to find a bridge to that gap. All right. Other Brian. So your background's in environmentalism. 
Yeah, I, I uh, actually have a master's degree in, in environmental engineering. So um, late 90s, graduating high school, didn't know really what I wanted to do. Environmental work sounded great. So I uh, went to a polytechnic university, studied engineering, and then got my master's soon after. And then I worked in industry for six years and was really, really just disheartened with that kind of consulting, really like you got to make your way through even within your own company to advance. And, and after, you know, being laid off three times in six years, I just said that was enough. But what it did teach me was really how to solve problems. Like engineering as a fundamental basis is take the tools you have, whether it's math, science, whatever, look at the data, solve the problem and iterate off of that. So that's kind of the foundation of me working and going into or being successful in marketing is kind of that, that problem-solving metrics analytics foundation. Yeah, you're the first person on my show ever to have groundwater sampling in their LinkedIn profile. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Well, it's in LinkedIn, so it must be true. It, it's totally true. I mean, it's a, it's not fun. You're the, I was the only person out there sampling groundwater. You know, you had 12, 15-hour days, you know, pulling gear doing 15 different wells in a day it it built character but uh i didn't didn't necessarily enjoy it um it's kind of a stepping stone to get where you want to go but then i i tapped out before i really got too far into it so is that why it's called title health because you did groundwater ha 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 no actually um i joined uh mr kush here i don't know why i call you mr kush but i think it makes it a little more formal um because now I'm a papa. And your papa, yeah, yeah. But I joined him, and it, it, our old business was called Tidal Wave Marketing. So we just changed it to Tidal Health Group to include health and get rid of the kind of hokey old logo of a dude surfing a wave. Monumental Tsunami Agency. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was the literalness of us. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like it's interesting that you, you didn't come from traditional creative agency backgrounds, and yet you built a creative agency. Do you think that gave you an unfair advantage because you hadn't been tarnished like people like me who just droned about at BBDO for three years? Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, like anything in life, when you have that personal motivation, brings a total different drive. And then us coming from such structured, non-healthcare backgrounds, we really almost tried to represent the patient, i.e. consumer's perspective. Like, could we put a structured database or a language around how people were looking for healthcare, but uneducated about what it was yet. And it really like, we tried to wrap ourselves in that to me was, I had this very big vision, strategic view of like how to deconstruct the issue my mom had, but put structure around it. And that's like the yin and yang of Brian and I is, he's very much that process engineer to go as much as it's unstructured layman language, there's always a universal thread that we can start to wrap our hands around and deconstruct. I mean, the whole healthcare world is like deep fried dumb fuckery, right? So what was your first project? I think our first project was wrapped around sinus surgery, where we were working with, uh, it's funny, from like a business lens, you're working with a guy that's dual board certified, uh, facial plastics and otolaryngology. And we worked with him just to even understand like, the unit economics of him. And then once we realized that it actually made sense for him from a business perspective to focus in the functional side, 
we then looked at ICD codes and CPT codes to understand that your core business, not only in the volume that you have the most experience in, i.e. authority, is really like these two or three codes. And then we tried to work backwards to understand how many kind of processes and steps along the way can we deconstruct very layman things that you end up coding as vestibular stenosis. You end up coding as turbinate hypertrophy. You end wait, up- Wait, gazentite? Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and that's the like visceral response. Everyone like, even when they, people like, go through that surgery, often don't even know it's called that. They just know that they had this very simple issue of like, why do I keep getting recurring sinus infections? Why do I have this chronic snoring problem? Why do I have this recurring breathing problems? Why does it feel like one nostril is collapsed? Those are two different worlds and language sets that don't come and meet in the middle. Right, but is it fair to expect the average ordinary human being to speak, you know, to speak that language, speak academia and medicine? No, but that's kind of what you guys are trying to do, bridge the divide between like human and the necessary that is medicine, right? Yeah, I think the idea is what we're getting at is people understand what they're suffering from. They may not be able to put a diagnosis or a name to it. So our job then is to lead them to at least understand the name for it so then they can have a conversation around it with their physician or understand, okay, maybe this physician doesn't treat that or maybe this physician isn't specialized in that arena and can go to somebody that is more specialized for to treat that exact problem. So it's we always tell people we want to educate them first, and then what happens is for the practice or for the doctor then is an experience issue then. Does that consumer now want to choose that physician, or now they have a diagnosis, they can search by that and find somebody else to get treatment from that may be more qualified. Right. So who's the Mr. Hat South Park puppet that really explains it between the doctor and the person? That's the ideal question that doesn't exist. I mean, it's... You haven't solved it yet? (laughs) I don't think it'll ever get solved. And like the example we used that was the like real just black swan event was COVID. Was you had this very structured approach to healthcare and how you're marketing it. You're looking at the specialties, looking at the services. And then you had this black swan event that came in that healthcare was trying to learn in real time and communicate to the public in real time. And we saw data of literally every single specialty had a search of COVID and gastro, COVID and XYZ, every single thing that people just were trying to restart for information to answer these things that there wasn't a straight line authority on. And that to me is just like a continual feast, a continual problem. There isn't a finish line to this because in the most simplest, like quantitative sense, it's something like almost 9% of searches of the trillions a year online are healthcare related. It's the largest subcategory of search on the internet. Right. But in the case of the pandemic, it was a moving target. So science was only trying to catch up with what they could do today. And people really want to be able to trust what is, you know, from, you mentioned authority, right? But again, if you're chasing science in the moment, Data in the day isn't like masks. We don't need masks as far as what we know right now. And then, oh, we need masks. And they're yelling at them. We told us you didn't need masks. Well, to understand the basic fundamental idea of the scientific process, you're observing things in the moment and science's wisdom of the day, 
right? How do you combat that? Or can you? Yeah. So I think, I mean, initially we, we flipped from a marketing agency to a communications agency, basically. So we understood with all the uncertainty that our clients were having that we had to get the word out to potential patients. Hey, are they open or are they not? Even something as simple as that. Are they seeing patients? What's the protocol? So we were actually updating protocol as it was coming through, coming down from New York State or CDC or whatever. So you have that part of it, of the authorities of the the pandemic happening. But then you also have, okay, now how does, say, a gastroenterology group carve themselves out as an authority within uh, you know, COVID and gastroenterology? Do those conditions or people with these conditions suffer differently? So we, we actually started a webinar series and, and started really just pushing content around these issues. And the doctors were learning it themselves because, like you said, it's real time. So as they're learning through research, epidemiology from the universities and from the hospitals, then they would get on and we would communicate to all of their patients and anyone at large, basically, that we're doing this, this series on, say, IBS syndrome and COVID or or. IBS and COVID or any of these other conditions and how, and then open Q and A's and stuff like that. So it was a, it was like an overnight transition for us just to help our clients. Did we, I mean, we lost a couple of clients. Yeah. But the fact that we realized that we can't conduct business the same way, we have to change how like our model of business really retained almost all, almost all of our business during that time. All right, we're going to take a quick break with Brian and Brian. I'll be right back after these fabulous messages from the proof is in the people at Iona. Iona. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
All right, we're back, and I want to talk about, we mentioned, like, trust and empathy, but we were talking before the show, and something I've been very vocal about is this, uh, are we overdue to rethink the word patient? And I always talk about, you know, healthcare, most most of the time it's like a shit happens store you didn't want to shop in. But does that make you a customer? Because customers typically know what they want to get and buy, but you're at the mercy of a system that will probably predetermine what might be best for you and who's protecting you to make sure you can make decisions for yourself when you don't even, you know, like, no, I can't wait to get cancer and hear this podcast. Said no one ever. What are your thoughts? Yeah, 100%. We've been preaching that for a long time. And I think one of the biggest validations for us is, is a great book called uh, Redefining Healthcare. It's a doctor out of the Carolinas, Steve Newworth, and he proponents the exact idea of we can't use this word patient anymore. It has to be customer. It has to be consumer. We have to wrap the entire experience because there's this transaction of healthcare that happens, but there's so much more that needs to be wrapped around what I think the traditional economy defines as the experience that consumers have that's outside of a healthcare exchange. That that only just shifts the dynamic and really evens out the playing field when you're interacting with your healthcare provider that this is a joint two-way conversation. I would also add that consumer flips the script on on the dynamic, like you said. When you're a patient, you're you're already either have a diagnosis or you're underneath or under the care of somebody. A consumer is a little bit different. It means I have a choice. I can go to the hospital or I can go see a private practice or I can educate myself and do X, Y, Z. But then the choice is yours and you're educating yourself as an informed consumer. It be, The burden becomes greater, obviously, but but the role of, of I guess, marketing, uh, how we see marketing or the role of of higher, you know, hospital systems is to educate the consumer on not only what is that diagnosis or what they do have, but then then we get into authority of okay, now who is the specialist or who is the person that I am going to go choose to see now to solve my problem. And that could be in a major hospital system, but it could not. I mean, we're seeing uh, secondary and tertiary kind of specialists now giving really high standard of care that would normally be seen in a hospital outside of a hospital setting. So think of like a, a someone who has thyroid cancer. So, you know, they're getting the care that, and the, and the, and the, the care and the attention that they deserve outside of a hospital setting, but they do have the resources of a hospital. Like they still go there for the scans. They still go there for the, for the, um, the pathology and all that stuff. So as a consumer, you now, mentally have that choice. Right, but there is no consumer report for what you're dealing with, right? You, you don't know what your choices can be because you never had the chance to pre-research them like buying a new fridge. How do you solve for that? I would argue that there's there's many indicators and that's part of our job as marketers and something that we preach is <clears throat> there are many indicators of one, okay, does this, initially does this person in a search, okay, first you got to figure out what you have, Right. Then what happens is somebody searches, okay, and they search for then they search for a specialist for that. Then do all the indicators say that this person online is an authority to treat this? And that could be education. It could be all these things that are like the old school authority. The second part of that then is, okay, what about social proof? 
What about reviews? What about other people who have gone through and seen this physician? And that could be in a hospital system. Again, it could not be in a hospital system. And then it comes down to the experience, right? Our job as marketers is to shine a light on the experience that person's going to have at not only walking in the office, but the care they get, the aftercare they get, and the results they get. So does that experience align with what this person wants or expects? And then the consumer makes the choice. So I would argue that- Wait, unless their insurance plan says no. <laughs> that's the other side of it. Yeah, of course. That's so, another podcast. Yeah. I'm still caught up in this one thing and uh, turning to Kush here. So again, running the nonprofit, this may, may not be apple to apples, but like this whole idea of if only I knew you were there when I needed you. How do we eliminate the variable that they don't know what they need and who they trust to be given information they never hoped to want? Yeah, I mean, that's the almighty question. And it's something we're on a very micro scale tackling in the sense of can there be a structured approach to the unstructured language that healthcare consumers search? Because there's so much more variability when you don't know what you have. And like the simplest concept and kind of extending on Brian's example, we, we give this talk on uh, the kind of meeting of the consumer and the provider concept of authority. And in the simplest sense from a, a quantitative standpoint, we used a head and neck cancer surgeon and we looked at there was only nine variables of terminology to ultimately diagnose and then uh, indicate a septal perforation. It's just a hole in your nose. We mapped back 1,800 variants of consumer language terms that led to content, led to condition, diagnosis, and treatment. They're just really like putting on the table at first. I think there just needs to be a, a conceptual agreement that it is drastically different and just the exponential volume of language on the consumer side of healthcare. There's this whole education side that we push really on our clients and working with providers to really understand that, that you can't push how you classify and understand healthcare to the consumers of it. Even just wrapping their heads around that concept. And I was literally on a call today with like one of the kind of foremost retina surgeons probably in the country. And the simplest concept, he's been struggling with writing this article for his website for like four months. And I finally just sat down with him and I said, you understand when you, whatever you finally send to us, we're going to butcher the shit out of this thing <laughs> because it's not going to say anything remotely what we needed to say on how people search for this end condition that you have. And we've been telling him that for like four years. And it like finally wrapped around and he goes, look, I get it. My wife yells at me every day. Why don't you listen to the Bryans? And he goes, it takes me three to five years to finally listen to her. And we're right at that mark. So go ahead, have your team start doing the work. So you are basically intervening in the either the the lack of or the unintentional version of empathy in how doctors can and can't maybe channel lay speak to a customer as a patient. Yeah, can you be our spokesperson? Because that that'd be great if you could just consistently say that to yeah, everyone. Just, just write that down for us, and we'll kind of slide that. I mean, I'm channeling my Douglas Adams babblefish from history. Yeah, I think you know. I think. I think for, like doctors are great, usually really great at being doctors. They're not great marketers. They're typically not very good business people. So our, jo our job is 
we're, we're not hoodwinking people here. We're giving them information. It's always vetted by the, the physician or the practice. And, and, and I think the, if you look at the landscape of, of information out there, you have the WebMDs, you have the, the, the Mayo Clinics putting out this information. And not typically, you typically don't get high level content from a private practice. It's usually thin, it's short, they just assume that people are gonna do their research somewhere else. Or, And so what we're doing is we're bringing that level of content to, we're bringing it down from the hospitals down further, and it allows our, our clients to then, i would not gonna say compete, but to let consumers know that there's a choice of care that's not always reserved for a hospital. You can get high level care at a private practice as well as a hospital. Are you finding yourself in like specific disease markets, chronic conditions, or like just break, fix, knee scrapes, or in like real shit like rare disease and cancer? We often, across the board, but we often really cut our teeth in uneducated markets, whether that's uneducated in even the referring medical community or, or extremely uneducated in the consumer side. That's the kind of impetus of everything we've talked here is that we pride ourselves in being able to translate complex or uneducated markets and educate and close the gap. We often are seeing, and one of my favorite things we do is patient testimonials, where nine times out of the 10, they're going, well, I was misdiagnosed three times. I had a partial hysterectomy unnecessarily. I went through all these things to finally just come back to the right diagnosis that would have drastically affected my life for the positive if I was able to cut through the noise and get where I needed to faster. Do those patient testimonials affect new patients' behavior? Yes. I mean, it, it's that social proof again. And it's, it's you know, going, even if I'm, buy, if I'm buying a, a new air conditioner, like you said, consumer reports, I wanna make sure I'm making the right decision. And so patient, patient testimonial really, people can see themselves as that, as that patient and getting on the other side of whatever condition they're, they're, that's ailing them and, and that our client or that physician can help them get to that point. I mean, again, we're not hoodwinking anybody here. These are real, live, heartfelt testimonials that, that you know, every, everybody wants great care. You want to get on the other side of whatever's ailing you and live your normal life. And so, again, our job is to shine a light on, on the, the idea and the, 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 the notion that that care can be had through one of our clients. I mean, I'm getting tingles from the old RateMyDoctor.com websites. You know, they're rating the doctor and their experience based on like one grumpy secretary and not about the care that they received or there were too many people in the waiting room or the air conditioning was broke, all these factors that had nothing to do with the conversation they had with a prescriber and what happened to them in that room. How do you account for that? Or you just like throw that stuff out because it's irrelevant to what someone new needs to know? Depends on who you're talking to. When you're talking to the provider, yeah, they really just want to cut through that noise. But when you're talking about how to run a business, that's consumer feedback. That doesn't mean that that person was improperly treated from a medical perspective, but if you're truly treating that person as a consumer, when you send your patient a balance bill, when you send your patient to a third-party vendor, when you're a third-party company, 
and they have a poor interaction, they're sitting in your office. They don't give a shit that it's some third party that you're paying 6% to. They're going to be pissed off at you. That's running a business. And when you understand the concept of a consumer, you understand that you need to be aware of every interaction they have outside of just that consultation room. I think every doctor should have some retail therapy in their background dealing with customer service. I mean, working at Taco Bell, I mean, I did stuff at KB Toy and Hobby. You know, I, I volunteered for like an auto dealership. Like if you don't know how to deal with people. But again, is that really fair to expect that when you need them to be surgeons and neuropsychologists and, you know, pulmonologists? It's interesting that you bring that up because actually both of us have a lot, like a pretty decent retail background as well. But is it fair to, you're asking, is it fair to ask a physician to care about the whole customer experience? Right. If it's their business, 100%. If it's, if they're working part of a larger group, it's up to that group to then, you know, filter down and manifest that. I mean, the big gorillas in the room, the big hospital groups, they, they have capacitive lives. They can kind of do whatever the hell they want. Right. But if you're competing against that, you need to have a higher higher standard. And if you're running your own business especially, then every touch point, and you know, you, like you said, usually what we, what we tell our clients is, okay, I, I understand. You're usually probably 95% of the time give great care, you know, you diagnosis, treatment for that patient. Probably, probably the, you know, all the, most of the complaints, like you say, are billing and front desk and, and kind of admin stuff. So why wouldn't you want to clean all that stuff up so your, your patient will refer you to someone else or come back and, and keep coming back to you? So let's close out on a high note. Uh, give me some uh, success stories, two success stories. Oh, I have numerous. And I'm going through, and the first thing is, it's still, it's one of my favorite things to do is the actual interview when we're doing patient testimonials. I mean, that's the human component of this is like, we can all get so lost in the, in the data, the business and the finance side of it. At the end of the day, that little advertisement, data point, whatever it is, when you done right and you actually deconstruct the layman side, you're connecting people physically that are solving a problem that often was misdiagnosed. And it's it's endless. I mean, I can't even, there's so many hundreds of patients, but one of the biggest, and I think I kind of partially referenced her, was a woman that was in her early 20s, really just went through the gamut Uh 10, 12 unnecessary surgeries, partial hysterectomies, told it was all in her head, dropped out of law school, finally got to the point where the diagnosis was understood, treated, became a liaison to the space and a huge advocate. And we sit with her and try and quantify the reduction of healthcare interactions now that we can see as the medical referring community and the patients get more educated, we can literally quantify people coming in with less interactions with the healthcare system. Making everything a little less dumb fuckish for the next them. That's the goal, right? Uh, Through education and through, um, you know, proper messaging and and getting our clients out there. Yeah, that same... So that patient testimonial was, I mean, I hate to reference the same client, but it was an ideation with the founders literally on their dining room table. And we were able to take them from a dining room table conversation, not even having 
any presence or opened any um, office yet to uh, multi-state, 10 states, uh, 12, 15 locations, um, you know, within five, seven years. So I, I that is kind of a unicorn in a sense, but it gets me excited because we were actually able to, if I think about it, we were actually able to find diagnoses or conditions within the search volume. So people searching for things that landed on the page. So the page would, would show up for these searches and we would go to them and go, Hey, is this something you treat or have you ever heard about this before? And, and I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> it was PGAD for ma- like male PGAD. So Persistent genital arousal disorder. That is the greatest acronym I've ever heard. Male PGAD. So it's a condition where you're continuously orgasming, basically. And clinically, it was traditionally associated to women. Yeah. Wait, but this we, is a whole other show, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I, want, I want that show. But but the but there's gold in the search data mm-hmm. is what we're getting at, and so we bring it to them and go, hey, is this a population you would even see? Because the whole premise was around female population. And they go, well, that's interesting. There's three papers about it. Let's bring them in. And so then we even, we started and then we bifurcated the site into male, female and showed them a whole new area to be able to treat not only that, but other conditions that males suffer from. And so again, the data and the, the gold is in the search data. That's the perfect anecdotal example of meeting the consumer where they are. Like literally there was no clinical diagnosis for that condition that was ever associated to men. But people didn't know that. They searched and added the gender acronym at the end going, I think I have this condition. And if someone didn't meet them where they were, they would just continue down that rabbit hole thinking they have something that no one treats, no one understands, no one diagnoses. And... I mean, there's so many examples, even with that client. <laughs> the best one is Google vulvodynia, and you either have a really gnarly problem or you really like South African rock. Uh, I think metal, that's a yeah. good place to end the conversation. Vulvodynia, officially sponsoring this episode <laughs> of Out of Patience, the Bryans, Brian Dragic and Brian Cush, Dr. Cush, Mr. Cush, as you are referred to. I'm excited to have you here because, again, like this is how the real sausage is made in the agency world. And the idea of meeting people where they're at uh, should not be novel. But anyway, thank you for coming in. We'll have you back. And good luck with all the crazy work you're doing with these really interesting diagnoses. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Matt. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us, and we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.